0: Listening to "Hauntingly Human," a podcast about sex, death, and the taboo. Interviews and personal experiences of all things related to the human existence. With your main host, Brittany O'Leary. Hey guys, I'm not super big on sugar warnings, but I will. Start this podcast with saying that if you cannot listen to stories of domestic violence and they trigger PTSD or anything in you, I would suggest skipping this podcast. Um, it's going to be a lot and I don't want this to harm anyone's healing process or growth or things such as that. So if you cannot handle stories of um, physical violence, psychological violence, anything like that. Um, I love you and thank you for supporting me and this podcast. But I would probably skip this one. There's a lot of other happier ones (laughs) to um, go and listen to. And if you need to get help, I am posting on my Instagram um, an infographic with numbers and ways you can text. And I will put that in the show notes as well. So please use caution if you are in an abusive relationship and you are visiting these websites or calling these numbers, delete histories, try to be safe about it. And, um, just know that, um, no matter what you're dealing with right now, you are worth so much more than how you're being treated. And I hope you get out safely. Alright, so if you're here, thank you and aloha. Welcome to this week's episode of Hauntingly Human. Probably the first podcast we'll have that is taking the Hauntingly to heart here. I wanted to come on before Liliana's segment of the podcast and give a little bit about what happened to me and my story and my history because people did write in asking for that whole story. Um, I've put bits and pieces of it out there throughout the years uh, but not in totality, all at once, in one place. So I'm gonna just tell my story so you can draw similarities between what Liliana says and I think abusers in general have a certain MO, a certain way of going about things. It's almost as if they take a course. <laughs> they all say the same things, think the same things irrationally, and have a lot of the same manipulation tactics so i got asked a lot um specifically for when i knew i had to get out and in my story that was the first offense so i knew right away and you'll see why in a second um i had to get out because the first offense was probably one of the worst um the fourth and last offense was probably up there as well but um before I get into that, I just wanted to give a little history that I think is kind of relevant um I am a parent of a divorced household, however that factors in. I don't blame my parents for that at all when i was I'm big on people taking personal responsibility for the for their actions, and I this happened when I was around 26 or 27 years old and from when I was a teenager I knew I had uh, relational relationship issues that I should have worked through and I just didn't. and I kind of owned them and was like this is how I am because of my upbringing and I think that's a shitty way to look at things and that's how I did look at things. So when this happened I was not equipped to deal with it and how suddenly it happened and I had never been in any abusive relationship before so I did not know anything about that. And I think that is a huge thing we are missing in society is teaching young women the signs of abuse and red flags. Um, I think we're getting into it a lot lately um, in teaching women these things. So I think we'll see hopefully um, a decline in people getting themselves in these situations, but abusers are really smart. And they're very good at manipulation and interpersonal uh relations. They know how to prey on insecurities. They know um who is the best victim for their bullshit. So I will tell you that right before I got into this relationship, I I won't even really call it a relationship. Um just because I've stopped labeling it as such. Um, Before I got into this situation, I was at a very big low. Um, Prior to this, I had been in monogamous long-term relationships for like probably six or seven years. And um, after I had gotten out of my last one, I was in a situation where I experienced probably the worst heartbreak I had experienced in a very long time so I was at a pretty big low and this person knew enough about me to prey on the right things so that is how I got into the situation as quickly as I did and how I didn't see it coming because I wanted an ideal and this person presented an ideal to me as abusers do so we'll go into red flags and all of that later on because that was asked a lot but I am going to be reading directly from my notes um, that I wrote to myself for this time period. I know a lot of people know this already, but after the first offense I created a plan starting with setting up a secret email to email myself um, so that they were time dated and stamped from obviously sending an email. I had sent myself private emails detailing each offense when it was happening. And sending myself pictures that were also date and time stamped. Um, However smart this person thought they were, um, I am incredibly intelligent and was not going to let this person get away with it. So I think my really good sense of self helped me a lot here in not falling prey to this for too long and knowing from the beginning that I had to get out. There are many reasons people stay in abusive relationships, and we'll go over that as well. And it is extremely heartbreaking to see. So um, I will now read what happened on the first offense um, through my wording and what I wrote down and sent to myself on January 16th, 2017. And then I sent follow-up pictures on January 20th, 2017 to coincide with this. So I was at work that day and we only had one car at the time so that person was in control of the car, dropped me off at work, and then started texting me that my dog threw up and he didn't like filthy fucking animals, quotations. I also sent screenshots um of all these interactions that were going on while I was at work as well to the secret email. So I Ubered home from work because they weren't answering me, and I was scared for my dog, obviously. I arrived home to the household in disarray, and a half a bottle of Jack Daniels drink, this is very common, is abusers abuse alcohol and drugs. Come to find out later, this person was also probably doing heroin and other things in my house. So uh, I started yelling, or they started yelling that I wasn't allowed to pet my dog anymore and that they hate animals, and that was The first time this person hit me across the face, I put my hands up to block him and push his arms away because that is me. I am going to fight back. I'm sorry. You're not going to hit me. And that obviously only exacerbated the problem. So they came back at me, punching my shoulders and arms and throwing me to the floor, throwing me on the bed, getting on top of me, hitting my head, choking me, threw me to the ground multiple times, hitting my shoulders, kicking me, screaming obscenities at me that lasted four hours on and off at the end of the argument um I told this person I wouldn't be in an abusive relationship and half his things were already packed because he was being dramatic during this and obviously wanted me to beg him to stay as most abusers always do and because I didn't and said I didn't want to be in this situation um that is when I was thrown to the floor and had a gun pulled on me Did not know this person had a firearm in my house, so I found that out while I was looking down the barrel of it, and I was on the floor screaming at him to stop. He was telling me he would kill me if I wasn't going to be with him, and while I was convulsing on the floor, he was telling me I was pathetic and calling me a stupid cunt, so after this time is when I looked him up when I got to work the next day, and that was my only time I had to myself, so... I looked him up to see what I was dealing with and found out this person had been convicted three times um, for domestic violence already against his uh, ex-wife and his mother. So um, that's when I knew I needed a plan to get out safely and because there was only one car and he had control over it, I was kind of waiting for that situation to change because um, to make a solid plan I had to separate myself. For the safety of, one, me, two, my dog, and three, everyone around me, I didn't get help anywhere else now that I knew that I was dealing with someone clearly psychotic enough to pull a firearm on me. I knew I had to be really structured and methodical in how I was going to do this because not only did this person have access to a firearm, they also were always high or drunk or just in a state of mental chaos. I came to find out this person had a lot of mental disorders as well. Um, uh, not to mention like bipolar, a little bit of schizophrenia. This person had a lot of issues that were untreated as a child and growing up in an abusive household, they also were not modeled the best things. So as most abusers do after The first offense, they tried to make up for it. Uh, I remember going to a little mini quote-unquote vacation to Busch Gardens in which this person did bring the firearm. Now I was well aware it was always going to be around. So um, during that mini vacation, I was taken to the tattoo shop. A lot of people don't know this actually about one of my wrist tattoos, but I was taken to the tattoo shop and forced to get his name on me and obviously he did put my name on him also, and that was a very surreal experience. Obviously, I have since covered it up, but that was done during that time period, and then, um, so January 17th was the first offense. The next offense didn't happen until February 5th, 2017. Um, he picked me up for lunch obviously we had one car so he picked me up from lunch with my mom he was mad um that I saw her he was drinking obviously before he arrived drove irately all the way home uh yelling that I was too social started bringing up past relationships hitting me across the face when we got home punching my shoulders and arms yelled at me how he hated my dog again and irately just drank that whole time February twelfth now we see it ramping up. That was February fifth Now it's February twelfth was the third offense. He woke up in the middle of the night talking about how he was an awful person, how he has seen the devil. A lot of abusers will mess with your sleep schedule to disorient you and confuse you um so he would wake up periodically through throughout like every night, just being a fucking psycho. Uh, woke up talking about he how he was an awful person yeah he'd seen the devil got pissed about uh, my sexual history again name calling me hit me across the face a common theme was he would tell me to put my hands down all the time Um, if he was to beat me I was to take it pulled out tufts of my hair I uh, started he started punching the back of my head and my neck And he destroyed the television in my living room with a hammer, kicked my bedroom door down and destroyed it, came back, tried to punch me some more, got on the bed to choke me. And this is when he told me that he used to beat his ex, which I already knew because I looked him up. And this was also the day that I got the second car back from the shop. So I was making solid plans in my head to go to the Broward County Sheriff's Office in a few days when I went to my mom's and ironically... Saturday morning, which was the day I had planned to get out, was um the fourth and final offense that did happen. The morning of February 18th, 2017, uh he got up and was probably mad that we were going separate ways that day and he didn't have control over that because now we had two cars. So he got up and was mad that I didn't follow him outside to deal with a car issue on one of the cars and when he uh went out and came back in. He started berating me for being sick, which I was all the time for that last month because I really wasn't eating. I felt like shit. There was a lot of, um, sexual abuse too, uh, regarding, uh, anal sex and just crazy things going on. So I just was not feeling good. This person didn't want me on any form of birth control. And as, A lot of abusers do will try to get somebody pregnant so that they have more control. And I do believe that's what he did with his ex-wife as well because they did have a kid together. That morning he was going to see the kid and I was trying to get him out of the house to do that. So I had a window. And so in any case, back to the birth control, I was secretly on birth control because obviously I did not want this person's child. That was making me sick as well. So I just was sick all the time. And I was being yelled at that I was a piece of shit. He started hitting me and punching me. He went to leave to go see his son, but came back in because I didn't run after him to stay that day. So he started hitting me again. He punched my dog because my dog tried to attack him. And then that's when he admitted to me that he just hits my dog for no reason when I'm not around. And he punched a hole in my front window. So to get him out of the house that morning, I... Had to have sex with him twice to be left alone. And once I found out that he wasn't just gonna circle the block and come back and that he really did leave, he I took my firearm and my dog and I got in the car and I made my way to my mother's house. And we then went to the Broward County Sheriff's Office, which by the time I sat down with them and was telling them my story, bruises were starting to form. So That is why they made the decision to work with me, and I was obviously in contact with him because he wanted to be in constant contact with me. So I was playing along like I was still at my mom's house, and when he told me he was going back to the house, I told the officers who did go to my house and arrest this person on February 18th. So to wrap this story up, I did end up getting a restraining order after this, I filed to make it permanent 14 days later that person had their firearm taken away which it shouldn't have been in his possession anyways because he had been arrested three times already for domestic violence so i was going through the court proceedings august 2017 i gave a deposition and was waiting to hear about when the trial was going to be and in october 2017 i found out that this person either on purpose, either accidentally, or something I like to call accidentally on purpose, took his own life via overdose. So that was the outcome of my situation. I never made it to court. I never got to prosecute this person. Um, And although there obviously is a part of me that is very angry at that, I realize that I am extremely lucky that I had that outcome. We all know I take death and dying very seriously, and I would not wish that on anyone, I think in this situation and in most abusers situations, um, the death of an abuser is probably the best case scenario. This person can no longer hurt anyone, hurt anyone. They cannot raise their son any longer. We don't need an abuser raising a son. So I think that I got completely out. I, I learned a lot of lessons. I learned a lot about myself and, um... I'm a way different person than I was prior to this episode. I think I learned what I needed to learn, and I think the universe took this person out for the reason that, you know, that was their purpose in my life and um, his ex's life, and I don't think this person had anything else to offer this world. So that was my story and I wanted to say it before we got into Liliana's because I didn't want to have anything confused between the two of us and just go back and forth in a really confusing situation. I want her to have her time because I'm very grateful to her for coming on this podcast and reading her notes, I see that she really has never told this story uh, publicly. So I am just really grateful. I think she's an amazing human. She is super smart, super intelligent, and... It's crazy just to see, you know, you never know everything about what a person has gone through. A lot of people in these situations never tell their story for whatever reason they have. So I am super blessed that she agreed. She had actually suggested to do a podcast on domestic violence and I reached out and asked if she would like to, not knowing this, even this whole story that she had gone through. So... I really hope that it helps somebody, this podcast, and I hope that you appreciate hearing these stories because I think it's important to see strong women telling these stories. As she said in her outline, she was shocked to see when I had posted that I had gone through this because she saw me as this super strong person and like, I think it really helps people see that there is no, there's no certain person abusers can infiltrate or attack. It happens to everyone for whatever reason it happens to. So I will introduce her now and we will listen to her side of the story and then go over some listener questions. All right, so I finally have Liliana on the line, and I'm really, like I said, grateful and excited for her to be on today um, and to share this with you guys, so hi. <laughs> hi there. Um, so for our listeners, I usually go into a little bit of background on how you grew up um, and just a little like relationship background. Like, did you have a lot of relationship experience? I think that's important, obviously, to this too. Um, And kind of a brief overview of what was happening in your life before this situation. So go ahead with that. And um, then we'll just get into what happened and um, just ah, kind of all the lovely things that come along with it.
1: Oh, yeah. We're going to go down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Luciana. I was uh, raised in Atlanta, Georgia, in the suburbs of Atlanta. had a really seemingly normal childhood. Um, I was actually raised Mormon, so very spiritual, religious family, up until my parents divorced when I was 11. And, I mean, nothing too crazy about my life really stood out. I played sports. I was in band. we, We traveled comfortably. Um, I didn't know that I came from a chaotic home until I was much older, uh, growing up, you know, we went to church every Sunday, there was no drinking or drugs in our house. And, um, but when my parents fought, I mean, I think the cops got called over a little too often, but you know, I think that's where the foundation, um, kind of got laid for me that kind of behaviors normalized that, okay, this is just what grown folks do. So I really didn't think anything of it. I mean, I did develop a sense of anxiety whenever they would fight or whenever somebody would raise their voice. And like later in life, I did notice that like my heart would beat like exceedingly fast um, anytime there was any kind of tension. And I didn't catch it as a child. I mean, when you're a kid, you think this is just how life is. So that's a that's a little bit about me. But I moved to Miami um, when I, literally a month after I turned 19 years old and that is where i met the man that
0: became my abuser um so up until that point did you really date in high school at all or not really or
1: very innocent i had a high school sweetheart but nothing crazy you know like going to prom uh going to dances nothing Nothing too terrible, nothing out there that seemed concerning at the time. Yeah. Um, I had a breakup in high school, which, you know, in high school, you're like, oh, no, it's the end of the world. Yeah. But I got over it pretty quickly and was leaving to college and doing what, you know, any normal kid would be doing. Okay, I left high school. I'm going to go to a school in Miami and live with my dad down there at the time, because my parents were divorced. But nothing nothing, nothing remarkable stood out from that period of time.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah, that was gonna question if you had any family down in Miami so you did um because I think it would have just been even worse had you not um because yeah that that would have been just another isolation factor you were kind of alone um so you were 19 and then I you said he was 23 um so just a little bit about how you met and how the relationship started and um if anything was apparent at first to you, I know now looking back, you probably see a lot. But um, if you thought anything during that time period, or if you were just, you know, kind of excited that an older guy was paying attention to you and whatnot.
1: I love the above. Yeah. Um, so I was 19 and I went out, I worked in retail then, I think like a lot of us did, um, went out with some older coworkers, and and I, I met him. Out in Miami, I'm gonna to try to leave as many identifying details out of this story. Of course, yeah. It's been a- but um, I met him, and uh, you know, he was older and paying t- to your point, paying attention to me, and I was excited about it. And um, it seemed normal. We met at a bar, and I was underage, of course. Shouldn't have been there in the first place, but that's Miami. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, we met pretty late at night. I would say midnight, and a couple of drinks in and nothing too crazy. I remember I gave him my number and the next you know, couple of days later, he called and we started hanging out and going out. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm only 19. I just moved here from Georgia. And you know, he's like, no, don't worry. I'll, I'll take care of you, take you under my wing. And I went under that premise. And I lived with my dad and just to explain my relationship with my dad, full-blown daddy's girl, talk to him every single day to this day. I'm 34 now, um, very close to my dad. And later on, I'll I'll get into how I hid this from him because I think all of us, um, everybody I talked to hid it from the world. But um, in the beginning, I mean, the red flags were there. I just, I think I was too naive and inexperienced to know what to look for. But, um, you know, he he had a problem with everything, with excessiveness, whether it was speed on a motorcycle, drinking a ton to the point of blacking out, smoking cigarettes, I mean, you name it, it just couldn't be a little bit, it was a ton. And then also, just pretty early on, I noticed there was a lot of jealousy issues. I remember one time um, we were at a restaurant and a girl was talking to me and it was the first time that he ever asked me, like, he was like, did she hit on you? And I was like, no, I've never met her before. He's like, well, you know, it looks like she was looking at you. I was like, really? Like me, I was just like, oh, I had no idea. That turned into a fight. And I was like, I didn't even do anything. And I was so confused. And looking back, I mean, these were pretty huge red flags that now I would definitely run the other way. But at the time, it wasn't adding up to me. I just thought that, okay, he really cares about me. He really doesn't want anyone talking to me. You know, the lies we tell ourselves.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or just like you said, it was like, I think they prey a lot on confusion because like you said, it's just, it's so outlandish some of the shit that gets done that you're just like you can't chalk it up to like a nefarious reason you your brain is like well it must be like this other reason because it's just so wild (laughs) that you don't know what to do with it essentially so um
1: (laughs) and Yeah, I was, a, I was very trusting. Like I said, the only really terrible thing that happened in childhood was my parents fought a lot. So to me, this kind of the stuff was just normal. I didn't think anything of it at all.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of the time too, um, was that like kind of one of the first things that happened that you were like,
1: yes. Yeah. Um, I turned a blind eye to it because I was really excited about an older guy and, I think at the time, because of my parents' divorce, I just really wanted some sort of stability in my life that I was willing to kind of look the other way.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it's interesting that it was outside of the house or anything like it was in public. So also you take that into account, like, well, you know, it it wasn't like this nefarious thing. It was done out in public. Um, specifically, I remember like one of the first things that happened was in my situation, we were at a concert and we were buying drinks from the bar. And something happened where I think we were double charged for something. And I'm so so hypersensitive to the way people treat bar or waitress staff now because of this. Like if a man is being like this, I'm automatically like something is wrong. So he just got like hyper aggressive about it. Um, about the whole situation. And at that time I was like, oh, like he'd been drinking, like, I get it. You know, um, the girl was like acting a little shady. So it was just like a whole situation. And now looking back, I'm like, there's no way he should have behaved like this. Like, you know, and it was just, yeah, yeah, a variety of factors that make you, you're just like, okay, I'll overlook it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Little things. Yeah. Yeah. And then that would be that somebody shared with me recently and one that I use now it's um, it was almost like climbing a ladder of abuse every as time went on we would get one rung higher one rung higher just seeing how far we could go and then you know in my case it it started seemingly innocent something very little just like what you just explained to me but then you look back and you're like wow yeah I, was I lo- really up there why did I not see it
0: reading your outline that I loved that because it's, it's Mm -hmm. perfect. Like it's the perfect explanation. And then like, before you know it, you're at the fucking top of it and you're like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I thought that was, that was brilliant of an analogy for it. Um, so you said about his excessive drinking and, um, he couldn't function, like, without it. I think you said um, he was super dependent on smoking and marijuana and alcohol. That was also, that was a huge thing, you know, in um, mind, too. The drinking was constant. Um, constant. Yeah. And, I mean, you were young at the time, so I'm sure, you know, and in Miami, everyone is just always drinking.
1: <laughs> yeah. You seem abnormal to me, and I was like, oh, this is cool. I feel like an adult now, you know? I just thought this is what we did.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. um, At the time in my life, I was 26, and I was still drinking, you know, to an extent. This person was 22, turning 23. So I also, you know, kind of just chalked it up to that situation, too. Um, yeah. but I think what you had put here is they can't function without it is the problem. <laughs> um, uh, <That's> problem. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you also say something very interesting, which was he had the inability to hold down a job. Yes. Um, if you wanted to talk a little about that, I'm just curious.
1: Oh, yeah. So when I first met him, he was kind of in between jobs, and he was very nonchalant about it. I mean, I was 19, very new to the workforce, so I had no knowledge, you know, of how the real world really worked yet. (laughs) And, you know, he was stable and everything. I later found out that his his dad just helped financially support him a lot. That's why he really grew up with his lifestyle. So, you know... I didn't think anything of it, but throughout the course of our three years together, and I was freshly turned 21 by the time this ended. Like, I mean, that's a really important part of your life to develop a sense of the world and everything. It messed me up for a long time. But throughout that course, I mean, I had seen him work 34 jobs in under three years, and all of them was never an amicable party. Something always crazy happened, and it was never his fault. And me being empathetic and, you know, my loyalty. Oh, it's fine. You know, it's like, it's not that big of a deal. It really didn't register until years later when I was in therapy that I realized that that was the result of integrity, um, dependency on everything, you know, substances and everything. It, he just did not function like a normal person.
0: Um, and so because of that, um, I know you mentioned <clears throat> that you were financially abused, which oh, is, yeah. is also, um, a super, prominent issue in, uh, domestic abuse cases. And it, it's a huge factor up on the list of why people don't leave. And yes. it's because they either are, you know, depleted of money or depleted and they don't have enough money to support themselves once they get out. Um, yeah. obviously in either of our cases, we had a child, but, um, if there's a child involved, obviously that money factor is compounded. So, um, I know in my situation, he did not have a legal job while we were together. Um, he, I was under the premise that he did train people for a living. However, he sold steroids for a living. So, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was his quote unquote job. Um, obviously did not make a ton of money doing that, um, so I'm assuming because he couldn't hold down a good job, which is, is kind of a reason that he depended on you a lot.
1: Yes, definitely. Um, and there are, you know, for the record, this is the first time I've ever publicly spoken about it, but um, there are people on my social media now who are there for this period of my life that can vouch for this, but I was getting up working two or three jobs and doing everything to build the career I have now but also to keep us afloat he contributed but not as consistently as I did and as a result of that you know I was always depleted of my own funds my own money and at that point in time financially to your point it made sense for us to stick together because we'd be stronger together and remember I spoke to my dad every single day so after a while too I felt like I was pretty much lying to my dad you know things weren't great he knew that but he didn't know how bad and every now and then be like, Hey, can I, can I take a loan? And I would, I would lie and say, you know, it's for a school thing or it's for this. And, you know, I'd always paid it back, but that's another reason why for a long time I didn't ask for help because I mean, how do you face your, your dad? You speak to every day, and of say, course. Sorry, I've been lying to you the whole time, but yeah, financially depletion. Um, he really ruined my life, but not looking back now, that was a means of control. He knew that without my my money and that if I left him, I remember one time I threatened to leave because I said, you know, I I don't make a lot of money, but more than you do. And he was like, so you're just going to leave me out on the street and on my own. And it was a way to always guilt me into coming back.
0: Yeah. And um, to your latter analogy here in your outline, I see kind of the hardcore financial abuse is what really started upping the yeah. the issues um and so talk a little bit about that um definitely
1: um well I don't even know where to begin to be honest with you, <laughs> I kind of outlined it for you I know
0: I couldn't I, I couldn't really <laughs> believe some of the shit <laughs> honestly yeah I look
1: back and I'm like how did I end up in this situation yeah and I'll tell you how you know it's just you know, I, I put in there, you know, love is really, bl- makes you blind. Um, not only, you know, you'll you'll go above and beyond, not only for the love that you have for the person that's abusing you, but sometimes, in my case, it was for the love of my family. Because I knew if my father knew all of these things, he'd still be in prison to this day. Yes, yeah, so actually, really
0: I love that you put that in there. I wanted to bring that up too, is yeah. that was a huge factor on why I did everything myself and I didn't tell anybody yeah. was because I didn't want anyone else To one, have to deal with the situation I put myself in. And two, they were going to (laughs) resort to violence to deal with it. And I didn't want them to have to be in jail because of this, so...
1: Exactly. No, I'm, I'm Latin American. My dad's from Colombia, like old school Colombian. I'm telling you, (laughs) we know, we all know, like, I didn't want to be that person that caused that. And I remember actually, whenever we would get fights or things would get out of control, mind you, he never hit me. He didn't have to though. He had full control of me. But whenever it got to the point where I was ready to go to my dad's, there was a line he always used. And it said, well, you know, if you tell your dad about this, he's going to kill me and he's going to go to prison forever. And that's how I, he would keep me in check. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. For me. I look back at that now and I was like, wow, that was like textbook 101 gaslighting. Yeah. Back then, I didn't know what that meant. But yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you that day woke up and were like, I'm going to tell my dad everything, the fact that right before you walk out the door, you hear that, you're obviously going to be like, he's right, you know? Um, that
1: exact scenario that you just said happened too many times. Yeah. Right, right. But the financial abuse, um, aside from me, um, just being financially depleted for what I felt like was most of that relationship, um, towards the end of it, I remember he lost his job for theft. It was a crazy story. The owner of a store that he worked at trying to leave out identifying details, um, called him because a customer came in to return a product. And he was like, Hey, this went missing from my shelf. Who sold this to you? He gave my ex's name and that's how he got caught, which is a serious offense um, so he came home and he, he told me I lost my job. And, you know, of course spun a story for me. Um, I later found out from the owner, his direct boss, what actually happened. And he's like, Hey, can you hold us down for just three months? I just need to find another job. And I was like, yeah, sure. And he said, listen, I had a brand new car at the time. I was like, just pay the car note. I'll take care of our expenses. And at the time we were young and broke. So a lot of the roommates who lived with us, they can vouch for this. I was the one getting up every morning to go work my two jobs sometimes take horses and come back. And, you know, I, one time um, I didn't realize this, but he wasn't paying the car. No. And Ford Motor Company came and repossessed my car. And that is where my credit got smashed. That's the beginning of where my credit got smashed. Cause there's more. <laughs> and I remember that was a huge fight and I was stunned. And I said, how could you not tell me this? I've been working my ass off to pay for everything. And you know, he didn't do anything to help me get the car back. My my family had to step in. My, I was fortunate enough to, my mom was able to step in and give me a loan and get that back. And that was the first time that it really hit me that, wow, um, how this is not normal because of all the things I saw in childhood, this was not one of them, but this is what it took. This is what it took for it to stand out. Not the screaming, not the yelling, not the threatening, not the cops. This was it. And that that's really interesting to me looking back. I was like, wow, how did I not recognize this as abuse? Um, after the relationship ended, I had credit cards. You know, we're 18 years old. We signed a bunch of forms and get credit cards. and We're balling on credit. <laughs> um, I didn't exactly start using mine. I always kept them aside from emergencies. But um, after, um, you know, the relationship ended later, I got a ton of collections notices for those credit cards. And... I had never used any of them and it was him he had ran them all up and that one took a long time for me to fix and to pay off the debts I was able to dispute a lot of the inquiries and everything but it was a different point in time this was over a decade ago right it was very hard back then to prove who it was yeah and um yeah that one that one really ruined me I think more than anything um the abuse and everything was bad but Also, even after it ended, just being financially strapped down like that after working so hard, that was ultimately really just, like, what crushed me. I couldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, and you, like, you said, it was over, so the fact you're still having to deal with...
1: Yeah, the aftermath. Yeah,
0: yeah, Um, so I know you said um, just a few minutes ago, you said he never um, hit you or anything like that. Um, which I think is really important for you to have said this early on, because I had someone ask to speak to, um, the psychological abuse, even when physical abuse isn't present. And I think your story is, I mean, perfect for that. Um, is, is the manipulation and, um, as you said in the beginning, you know, you took him at his word that he was gonna, you know, do these things for you, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, it's interesting to see <laughs> the, the, the ladder just of psychological that has been climbed, you know. Um, he's constantly telling you that he's gonna help out and then doesn't. Um, yeah. And, you know, before you know it, you're in a situation that you you're staring at it being like, how the hell do do I get out of it? Um, yeah.
1: and we're only halfway through the ladder. We yeah, still got a little bit yeah. more, more climb.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I also want to talk a little bit about you had roommates during this time. And I think that's really important too, is um, I did have a roommate for half of the situation going on. And then um, I ended up removing her from the house Um just because she did not like him, obviously, for good reason. Um, but it was after the first offense that he, the actions he had taken against me, he didn't want her in the house anymore. And because she was ramping up her suspicion of him, I didn't want her there either for her own safety. Yeah. Um, okay. So I did get her out. But all these things can be going on. And, you know, you have people around you and it's just... It's crazy how people can probably have an idea, but a lot of it is so hidden and done in a way that no one really sees evidence of it, you know?
1: Yes, 100%. Um, People had an idea, our roommates did, and they knew it wasn't a healthy relationship, but they didn't realize how bad. Um, I was always very bubbly. And, you know, we were all young and immature, so nobody had any room to judge anybody. Right. But I I never let anybody fully know the extent of it, because I think at the time I didn't even fully understand the extent of how bad I was being psychologically abused. Um, You know, it was towards the end when I moved out of that house, I, I did hear that him and those roommates had a fallout because he stole cash from one of them. He bailed on the rent. I mean, just, you know, the long history of integrity issues here. And the, like I said, there's people who can who were still a part of my life today that were there during that period of time. They can vouch for that. It all came forward, but um, they didn't know about some of the psychological stuff that was happening. Like, I would cry. This individual really enjoyed making me cry. It was a power trip for him. And every time I would cry, he would tell me, God, you, you look so ugly whenever you cry. You need to go clean yourself up because I could do better than you he would tell me about the other women he's been with. Cause remember he was older than me. So me at 19, 20 years old. This is like crushing my ego. And he would tell me any plastic surgeries and would compare me constantly to other, other people. Anytime I would get a good opportunity, he would find a way to knock me off of my high horse or like enjoy it. Like I just could never have my own spotlight. Um, and that was really hard. And then, Whenever I would question any of this with him, like, hey, why do you always have to do this? He would turn it around and continue to point things out, all the things I needed to work out and that I am the reason that he acts this way and that my behavior or me coming home late is the reason why he assumed I was out cheating, which, by the way, apparently I was always cheating. If I came home late from work. It's because I was cheating and I never cheated on him. It was always a fight. and then you know, I remember one of the way one of the best lines he used to always give, like, "Oh well, I am the way I am because my mom drank a lot as a kid. When you know, I'm recovering from that. It was always a sympathy card, a victim card. But literally, any time, Brittany, yeah, I was like, why do you always have to make me cry? Why do you have to make me ugly? Well, why do you have to make me feel bad for not having a job? <laughs> like it never ended, and I was constantly questioning my sanity. Um, I remember one time, I, I, you know, we had a fight um, on the way to. His uh, father's house, it was Easter Sunday, I think. And uh, I had asked him about paying one of the utility bills, and he said, Oh, I did. And he was like, No, you did. And he's like, I did. And he basically convinced me to the point that I just lost the money and that it never happened. And that's like questioning my sanity. I was literally going insane. I didn't even know if I could trust myself anymore because he was so good at drilling it down. Yeah, And then whenever I would start crying, oh, here you go again, making ugly faces. I don't need to deal with this. And it was just nonstop. And I mean, years later, you know, it took it took me a while to recover from that, but I definitely developed severe like body dysmorphic issues and everything as a result of that and it took a long time to recover.
0: Yeah. Pointing to, you say a lot, like the constant questioning, it, uh, it, it. <laughs> It still to this day becomes a trigger issue for me in in my marriage if I don't know how to express myself and my husband asks something maybe two times in rapid access or succession, like con like questioning like that just throws me over the edge because I relate abuse how abusers constantly question like that to interrogation techniques. So I a hundred percent know why these interrogation techniques work because it drives you up a fucking wall. And eventually you just like, will say anything to just shut it up. (laughs) Um, and that is exactly what abusers do is they get you in this constant circle of questioning and then circling back to another question, um, to see if you lied the first time. And it's just like over and over and over again and oh yeah it it yeah it makes you just want to rip your hair out <laughs> um
1: I yeah no you completely nailed it on the head I think for a long time after that I remember in other relationships somebody would ask me you know oh why are you late today uh-huh. and I would literally explain and give like a thorough and they I remember it was one ex-boyfriend he was like whoa 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 i like what prompted this because I never fully told anybody when I was younger about this part of my life. I was too ashamed. I was really ashamed to ever talk about it, you know. um, As you're aware, and as a lot of people who are listening are probably aware, and for those who aren't, um, women and men, people who are in these situations, unfortunately, you hear a lot of, well, you decided to stay. Or, well, the red flags are there. I told you so. And, you know, you're just trying to, you know, draw attention to yourself. and that's one of the reasons why, um, uh, for a long time, I didn't even talk about it, but when I saw your story and you're one of the toughest women I know, when you were so honest about it, I was like, wow, this really can happen to anybody. And that's one of the things that really prompted me to, to take you up on your invite.
0: Yeah. And I'm really, really happy you did because, um, like I said, I obviously, cause you never have talked about it. I didn't know any of it. Um, and I think you're incredible. I said it, I believe I said it in the beginning um, that I recorded before you, you're super intelligent. And I think anyone looking at your success, especially like your professional success, is you're always like climbing that success ladder. So it happens to literally everybody. (laughs) And there's like no, I, I say abusers have a very specific Box that they all fit in. They all do the same things. They all act the same way, but their victims are completely random. And yeah, um, yes. I they prey on just a vulnerability at a certain time. Um, for mine, it was a heartbreak and just a weird point in my life that person knew they could take advantage of. Um, yeah, for you, obviously, you were new to the area, so that is kind of you know a vulnerability you are fresh into college you just got out of you know high school and so that was just an easy point as well um but yeah he
1: prayed a lot on that and because i you know i'm over it now obviously but at the time you know at at a young age your parents divorced you know i left a hole in my heart and i think i was always trying to fill it i was terrified of being abandoned he knew that about me and at that point in time him leaving Man, that was the worst thing that could have happened. I'm t- like, codependency is a literal killer if you don't get it under control. 100%, they prey on the vulnerability.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I know we just talked a lot about the financial and um, psychological. Um, I want you to talk a little bit on the US1 car situation. Um, was that kind of like the... Top ish of the ladder.
1: Yeah, yeah. This was the top of the ladder. Um. So at this point, we're three years in, and just to backtrack, I went to Miami, freshly turned nineteen years old. It was a daddy's girl who spoke with him every day. And by the way, at some point, I was convinced to move in with him out of my family's and everything. So isolation one hundred and one. Um, even though I spoke to my dad every day, um, you know, we would have fights and I would tell my dad, but I never quite told him anything remotely to what I'm sharing now uh, for obviously for reasons, aforementioned reasons. But, um, I went from being a happy go lucky kind of individual, you know, yeah, I had a little bit of an attitude problem who didn't at that age, but I went from that to constantly breathing deep, having anxiety. Um, I pretty much stopped eating. I had lost a lot of my hair from malnutrition I shrunk to 99 pounds I would go to work and people would ask me if I was terminally ill or something. Um, And that is, that's definitely, that was all of the trauma, everything manifesting itself physically. I was a nervous wreck. Um, So this is now year three. And uh, we were driving on a major road in Miami called US One, which is a very public place. I mean, it's pretty central for anybody from South Florida. And uh, it was on a weekend. We were on our way to visit his side of the family and we got into a huge fight. I don't even remember about what, because somehow it was always my fault, (laughs) but he was threatening to kill us in my car that I paid for (laughs) the one that got repossessed and that I got back. And I took my seatbelt off because at this point now I'm a nervous wreck and I'm going to take, take it at his word. And I'm like, you know what? At this point, if I fall out of this car and die, I die. Like I was really at that point. He saw that I took off my seatbelt, and he slammed on the brakes as hard as he could, and I nearly flew through my own windshield of the car I paid for, and I was just stunned. My My mom had hit me as a kid and all, but nothing like this. This was next level. This is when it finally hit me. This is not normal behavior, and... I was just, I was dead scared. I was afraid for my life at this point. And that's the first time I think it really hit me. This guy might kill me someday. It was the first time it really hit me. And I said those words and I played it cool. And I cried and I said, I'm sorry, it's my fault. I shouldn't have pushed you this far. I couldn't believe I said that. Um, I went home and because, you know, you're young and broke and had all those roommates. I remember I very quietly went to our room and I just tried to avoid everybody. And the next day I woke up and I had a massive bruise under my eye on the right side of my face from the impact when I hit the dash and everybody noticed it. And I remember the guys at the time who lived at us were like, oh, you tell us if he's the one who did this and we will sort this out in house. Cause you know, it's Miami. I said, no, it was an accident. I wasn't wearing my seatbelt and I lied, I lied. Um. A couple of weeks after that, not long after that, is when things really finally ended. Um, my mom was in town at the time visiting Miami, and we weren't very close. And for some reason I felt compelled to tell her everything that happened. And she's a tough lady, and uh she told me, We're gonna get your things, be totally calm. You don't ever need you don't need to tell people about this. This is embarrassing, you know. Um go to your dad's and don't talk about it. This is in the past, and that is what I did, Brittany. In hindsight, I credit her a lot for helping me make the decision, and I didn't tell my dad any of this until years later, when this individual is nowhere to be found, um, for my dad's sake. And um, I got out, and I showed up to my parents pretty much high and dry. At this point, I'm just 21, 22 years old. I'm so confused. last three years of my life had been a blur, where I should have been in college, you know, partying with my friends, taking spring break trips. I was living this nightmare, climbing this ladder of abuse, just inadvertently seeing how high it goes and because i was never physically hit choked or anything like that i didn't constitute it or categorize it as abuse and it wasn't until years later um in psychology actually shortly after that when i went to counseling that they told me like you need to accept that you just got out of a domestic violence type of situation you were a victim of abuse i don't like to use the word victim but i truly think that I like I don't think you you myself, anyone in these situations, we didn't do anything to warrant it. You are absolutely hundred percent a victim. I like to call myself a survivor of it. I don't think about these things anymore now, and to me, that is really taking back my control and power from the situation. It never really crosses my mind until you approached me so um yeah, that's the top of the ladder
0: um, A few things I want to go back on uh Going back to the box that they fit in, a lot of abuse happens in cars. Um, shockingly enough. It is a very private place where no one is around. Um, and the whole speeding, driving erratically, um, is a hundred percent a control and scare tactic. Happened to me plenty of times. I was hit plenty of times in the car. Um a lot of times in the car to where I didn't even categorize them as incidents because it was just it was a lot um and then again also I I do struggle with also the the word victim I think because we are in such different places in our lives from where we were then um yes. you know to say like I'm a victim it just sounds funny I guess um And just, like, a whole different life, kind of. Um, And I kind of lost my train of thought on where I was going. (laughs) Um, But, oh, you said you don't even think about it anymore. And I... Yours was three years long. Around how long do you think it took you? And so you got to a point where you weren't affected by that anymore.
1: Oh, it took a long time. Um, I would tell you right now that I think for a long time there it was a couple of years there were, I, w- I was put on mood stabilizers because my anxiety was through the roof. If a man would approach me, even though I have a pretty tough demeanor, you've met me. <laughs> I've got a big personality for my size. Deep down <laughs> inside, I was crumbling from anxiety because I thought they were going to hurt me. It was really hard for me to develop interpersonal relationships with men. And, like I said, I didn't tell many people about this because I was so ashamed. You know, we're not supposed to talk about it, but, um, I got put in mood stabilizers for a couple of years and I had to go through a lot of therapy. I went through support groups anonymously and very quietly. And, you know, working through that, I'm not, this is what worked for me. I think everybody should have the right to pick whatever works for them. But I would say about three, four years later is when I finally started making peace with it. Um, there's a few events that took place in the aftermath after this that kind of brought a lot of peace, but I would say I stopped thinking about it about three, four years later. It was three years of my life and I was a kid. Yeah. So I would say around 25, 26, I think that's around the time we met you and I met through a bodybuilding show. Um, I had just gotten out of another breakup then, but it wasn't anything like this. It was amicable. We just were not compatible. He was a great guy. Um, and everything, but, um, you know, it was around that time when I was like, okay, well, you know, my life has moved on. Things are great. Um, But it took a long time and it's going to take a lot. Everybody's timeline for healing is different. Mine took like three, four years, but I had to really work at it. I had to do the work. I had to go to counseling. And I had to make sure that I didn't punish future partners for my past for the sins they did not commit. And I think a lot of people are guilty for that. And in a way I, I look at my abuser and I think he was punishing me for sins he didn't commit either. Someone in his past did against him.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. uh, um, in the foreword of this, when I talk about the incidents, there was, you know, one particular time when he just went on for, for lack of a better word, a monologue about, uh, how he had seen the devil and the devil was inside yeah. him and he had all these demons and about, you know, shit that had happened to him. And, um, times he's tried to take his life in the past and oh yeah I I for sure agree that it's a physical manifestation of unresolved issues that these people have um that just manifest in the same way like throughout abusers it's it's just uh form they are just not emotionally intelligent enough they don't have the skill set, they aren't developed enough, and this is kind of what presents itself. And I asked how long it took you, um, because, I mean, three years, yes, three years of your life, especially during that time, is, like, super formative. And um, even though I was 26, and this only lasted about four months, um, I was shocked at the time frame it took me to not really think about it um, during my everyday life, at least some point in the day. Um, Something would remind me of it, or um, there's some questions I'm going to ask later about like sex life after. And I was, yeah, I was kind of just, I was annoyed more than anything, because I pride myself in like getting over shit. So It took a long time, Um, and I think no matter how long it is, I would always tell someone to give themselves a lot of grace because you never know, like, what little thing is going to affect you or trigger you or make you feel uncomfortable, and it could be, you know, years down the line, and you've never experienced that one thing, but then something happens, and you're like, why is this making me so irritable or anxious or upset
1: yeah now give yourself a lot of grace to anybody in this situation i mean i don't think anybody in the world is prepared for this this is not something that comes um with a warning label ever you just we can only rely on experience and if you don't have it take stories like ours to heart don't-
0: um so you reached a point where you you finally got out and your mom helped you with doing that. Um, And for that is like the hardest thing for a lot of people to do. So I want you to talk a little bit about what happened afterwards. Um, If you were anxious that he was going to do anything afterwards, um, what your life was like, you know, for the following like couple months, what you did, did you try to take any actions against him?
1: So, um so towards the end of a relationship right before we broke up he was actually served with child support papers for a encounter he had years prior and I was with him during that time and of course he did an amazing job of convincing me no this is some crazy girl because you know they're all crazy and um I never questioned it but years later not long after we broke up I got wind that uh he was indeed the dad. And I was happy to hear that he did take accountability and do the right thing. But that kind of deterred me from taking legal action right away. But also at the same token, um, I think around that time, maybe it was a year prior before the paternity test. It's been over a decade, so I'm quite foggy on the dates. But um, his mother, his biological mother had died. And um, this was a different point in time where uh, it was very difficult to prove credit card fraud. It's not quite like today. It was over 10 years ago. But I was able to successfully dispute a lot of my credit. inquiries. mentioned that earlier, but I still had to pay a lot of it for myself, a lot of the debt and my family and I were about to take legal action, but I was so stressed out. I was trying to recover from everything. And then I heard the news of his mother's passing. We decided to put on hold. And then also I needed to save up money now for an attorney, because this was going to be very costly. Um, years later, I caught a little bit of a break when I found out, or I found an amazing attorney in Miami who helped me gather everything I needed to sue him for smashing my credit. I couldn't fully, uh, connect the credit cards back to him, but who else could it have been? Nobody knew my pin numbers and my financial access or anything the way he did. And that is a lesson I learned to be very careful with that, you know, um, that will, that puts you in a position to be, you know, depleted of your own money. It's control, but, um, I was going to sue him for the damages, psychological, the therapy, and, um, you know, some of the damages that came out of that relationship and crazy enough. And this is not something I would ever wish on anybody. And I wasn't happy to hear it, but literally right when we were about to find him, because it was hard to find him. I wasn't worried about him coming for me. I don't think he wanted to be found. This guy knew he was in trouble with me (laughs) when he finally realized that I went home to my parents. Um. I heard that he got in a really bad accident and had to get airlifted and he was in a wheelchair for almost a year. I, I was in disbelief and, you know, despite everything he had done to me, I, I felt sad for him because I would never wish that upon anybody. But I think that's when my dad sat at me, down and he said, let's let this go because I think, you know, this has been taken care of. We don't need to contribute to it anymore. And that was something crazy and it has such a strong parallel to how your situation ended like it took like a climb like i mean that one came out that was the plot twist i was not expecting to see and at this point it had already been a few years and i honestly didn't want to go back and reopen the wound i felt like you know the scales were even at this point let me leave it alone but um i kept going with it and uh was you know i really didn't tell my parents this any of this that i'm telling you guys until like Maybe a couple of years ago. I think when they listen to this, they're going to be really shocked. A lot of people will be. But um, present day, I'm unashamed of it now because I realized I was very young, and I can't go back in time to myself at 19. So I'm. I hope that somebody who's much younger, even my age, anywhere, hears this and tells themselves to get out. And um, today, you know, I've got a great credit score. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Um, I've got amazing communication and boundary setting abilities and my, all of my interpersonal and professional relationships. I'm very calm. I didn't let this make me bitter um, or anger, angry. And um, you know, I actually channeled a lot of my anger and my pain from that into my career. Um, from 2019 to 2020, I served on the board of directors for UN Women, an entity of the United Nations in Miami to help uh, women in underdeveloped countries. And um, I currently I own a small business where we, or quite, I consider myself to be moderately successful now, I guess. Um, All subjective, very happy with my life, financially stable, um, amazing relationship that I'm in now with a partner who knows all of this. I told him all of this and this entire outline uh, last night uh, before we recorded, and he he gave me his full support. He doesn't judge me any, and these are huge steps. And, you know, this is not who I was. It's not who I am it was a part of my life and I got the better end of it in the end. So if anybody's going through this, I don't, I don't feel ashamed and don't feel like this is going to follow you for the rest of your life. I hope it doesn't, but you know, you, you can move past it and give yourself grace just like you said.
0: Yeah. um, I, I obviously went over the ending of my situation in the, um, interlude to this, um, and I think what your dad said is he, you know, it was taken care of. I think that is really accurate. I said it in the beginning was, uh, the universe took this person out. His time was done, um, in doing what he did here. So I think he's completely correct. Obviously you don't want to wish anything bad upon anyone. Um, but in the end you, you are held responsible for your actions at some level or another at one point or another. So, um, I think that is what happened there. And, um, like you said, at one level, it is sad. I know on my level, I pretty much was never sad, but I, uh, I kind of honestly felt, a relief, which I didn't want to feel, but a relief for his soul, his being, because he was clearly very tortured, and despite how that manifested and what he did, I just don't think a human should live that way, and I just felt like, you know, that was the end of the road for that situation here, so... Um, I was tearing up a little bit when you were talking about your accomplishments, because that is why I wanted to have you on because I've obviously, I've seen all the things that you've done in the time I've known you. And I have always thought it was incredible. And it's just even more incredible to see you um, just channel everything and be able to do all these things afterwards. Like you said, you didn't let it um, preoccupy your life. You you know, that was a time in your life. The time in your life is that was over. And, um, especially it's incredible that you did that because you were so young and a lot of people that young would have gotten themselves into situations the exact same because they would think, you know, that's what you do or that's what life is or, um, you know, and you didn't let that happen to you. So I, I love that. Um, And woo, I have a few questions that people have asked. Um, So so, a question I got a few times over was red flags and um, red flags for people, because I had a question, red flags for people in the relationship and then ways that friends could tell, I guess, that there is a problem. So um, I printed out um, a sheet because I needed more organization than my brain allows. So I printed out (laughs) um, a sheet of red flags, which all are just, I, like I said, they just fit into a box. It's just like so perfect, the box. But um, I know we talked, uh, yeah, I know we talked about jealousy and that is a huge Um, major flag, um, accuses you of cheating all the time is on here. So yeah, clearly that's, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's a big one. Um, and odd behaviors, like we talked about, um, checking where, what you're doing all the time, um, which leads to controlling behavior, uh, pretend to be concerned about your safety. It's actually creepy now listening to your story. Now I'm reading these. (laughs) So Pretends to be concerned about your safety. That was number one, which when you got into the relationship, um, he pretended to be concerned about that, um, becomes extremely angry when you're late. Um, okay. it's like, it's like I said, they like print this out and they go through it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like a manual. Yeah. It, it's very alarming. Um, constantly questions where you are, who you spend your time with. Um, Quick involvement. I know you said you pretty, you moved in with him pretty quickly. Um, So yeah, I mean, same here. Um, Unrealistic expectations. So they're dependent. uh, They make you dependent on them. They expect you to be perfect, which is obviously evident. And, you know, he didn't want you to cry. He didn't want you to do any of that. Um, Isolation. I think that goes without saying that is a huge huge one um, of abusers blames others for their problems. (laughs) I mean, honestly, (laughs) at at some point you have to laugh after the fact because it's, it's just too, it's too good. It's too good. Yeah. Disrespecting
1: is ever my
0: fault. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Disrespectful or cruel to others. I know I made mention of the situation that happened at the bar um, just they don't treat other people with respect. Um, I know a lot of abusers also put on a show where they are overly either respectful or charming. And then at some point that breaks down and they can't hold that facade any longer. So then you see s- it, situations like what happened at the bar, um, yeah rigid sex roles which I didn't really get into on my interlude um, but it was a part of that situation so believes women are inferior to men um, and has a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde attitude so they go from being completely fine to something upsets them and that's the end of that day essentially And um, breaking or striking objects. I know that happened a lot with me. Uh, Broken televisions, broken windows. um, And hypersensitivity. Easily insulted, sees everything as a personal attack, and totally goes off about small irritations. Yes. So... (laughs) Like a manual somewhere. <laughs> yes, I think we can attest to all of those and then um, some warning signs that I would say you can add on to this list too um, for friends or relatives or anyone thinking that someone may be in an abusive situation. Um, the person will act differently than they normally do a lot of the times they will increase their aggressive behavior um, they seem jumpier. Uh, they're withdrawing. They don't really want to be around people. They lose interest in activities that they liked. Um, they have unexplained physical injuries. That's always common. Um, something I know I did was I started to wear, like, hoodies and leggings, which I never did. Like, I would always be in shorts and tank tops. Become more moody and then engage in harmful behaviors so that could be drugs that could be self harm um, etc so uh would you have any others besides that?
1: definitely look out for the physical changes for me. it was losing my hair and shrinking down to ninety nine pounds abruptly yeah um, you no know, uh I know, especially around this time, the holiday time, you know, you have to keep up appearances and everything. So, you know, and, and people hide it well when they're in these situations. Like I said, I hid it cause I was ashamed. I didn't even, I, I was still in disbelief of what was happening, I hadn't registered yet, but I would say, look out for those physical changes. And then isolation. Um, if your friend, family, coworker, whoever this is, is, suddenly not going to the gym anymore. And they've been going every day religiously for a year. my, might want to be a little concerned or if somebody just doesn't even use social media anymore and you know, they've used it every single day might want to reach out. Yeah. I know, know. I know that
0: was a huge one for a lot of people for I me.
1: Remember.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, and that's why a lot of people started thinking something was wrong. Um, yeah. And so <coughs> yeah. Um, and then I have an interesting question. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I don't really know if I formulated my thoughts completely on it. Um, an older person, example, age 50, okay. involved with a younger person under age, so 16, Ooh. but but the 16-year-old is willing, quote-unquote, I'll put that in quotes. Um, it wasn't in quotes, but I'm putting it in quotes. Um, the question is, is that domestic violence? Um.
1: I think
0: that's uh well, so yeah yeah I see that was
1: some bias to this <laughs> yeah. but I I see some red flags already <laughs> I think that's all I can say
0: <laughs> Yeah um my uh, my first thought was no I think it's rape um and that is why I put willing in quotation marks um I know I used to have a tendency to date older men so they were about 10 years older than me, 10 to 12 years older than me, um, and when I was really young, I should say, so, like, my early 20s, um, 18, 19, 20, 21, um, and so they were in their 30s. I, looking back now, being almost 31, I don't want to say that I have an issue with people dating older, I just think, and especially that is a crazy age difference um there is no reason for someone that old to be with someone that young um, not love i don't I don't really looking back now, I don't believe there can be a healthy form of love in that situation um I just think the two people are at completely different points um completely different experiences um and that older person just i i don't know why they would want to do that uh that is my kind of unorganized thought process but
1: yeah i echo your sentiments there um just talking hard objective facts my own personal and beliefs aside and everything um that situation sounds very unusual and it's going to work out to, um, it, it could be either the older person is going to get abused financially, emotionally or something, or the younger one's going to get abused in other ways. But either way, uh, red flags get out of Dodge.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, definitely. and I say, I don't mind age differences. Like if it was 30, 45, you know, yeah. I just think prior to 25, something happens when you get into your late 20s and early 30s that I just think you you don't have the capability to deal with people at a level that are older than that at that point. Um, there's just, there's still so much growth going on that there is really no point. I look back at my, I was in a relationship um, 19, 20, 21, um, going into when I was 22. No, I was 22 also. So it was a long relationship. That person was, by the time we broke up in their early 30s, and just looking at where we were as people, I, and then seeing his shortcomings later on, there was a reason he was with someone so young, and he had done that before me too. Um, so I just think... Those people need to reassess why they're going for people that young, maybe address psychological problems themselves, um, because I know that was the case later on with someone older as well. Um, So that's my thoughts on that. (laughs) Um, But especially 50 and 16, besides being illegal, uh, yeah, I just, I don't, (laughs) I can't. Um, Where did you... Yeah, I can't comment further on that because it's probably not going to be too nice. Um, and then I don't know if you want to speak on this uh, personally, but your thoughts, not personally also, I would love um, how to have a healthy sex life after trauma like that. So um,
1: I'm going to answer Um Not for personal reasons, because everybody's experience with sexual trauma is very different. Um, I myself have been very fortunate that I cannot relate to most people who have survived that. But I can say that um, in terms of physical touch, um, after that relationship, I I think I had intimacy issues with letting anybody near me. Even though I was never hit or anything, there was like a mental block with me where I couldn't show affection. But, um, you know... In my situation, believe it or not, there was actually no sex, which was bizarre. So uh, I can't speak to that, but uh, I do I've heard different, you know, accounts of that and I think that everybody's very different in that regard. But you know, go into it and remembering that not everybody is going to be the same and kind of goes back, but yeah. Uh, that was a hard one to answer.
0: Yeah. Um I'll answer a little more because mine did have (laughs) a healthy dose of that situation. Um, And it goes back to a lot of the times why people have problems leaving um, and why I probably didn't a lot either. So uh, most of my life I, and I was just talking about this with my husband, I... We had a podcast on polyamory and non-monogamy. And we were just talking about everything that goes along with that. And um, we were saying how eventually we could see ourselves being non-monogamous. And I think in large part for me, I don't equate the act of sex with love. I think a lot of people do. Um, I I can separate those two things. So I think a lot of people have a hard time leaving because abusers are hypersexual a lot of the time. And they know that a lot of women equate sex with love. So they're constantly having sex with you and they feel that this is the way that they're going to gain control over you. Um, I know a lot of abusers are also trying to get um, their victims pregnant. If it's a man abusing a woman
1: so yeah, that they can have,
0: yeah, they can have even more control over that situation. I know for me, um, I, <laughs> I was in a very odd situation after I got out because I had been with my husband beforehand. I trusted him. Um, I had been in love with him before. So, and he was a really good guy. So in that respect, I got very lucky and kind of new relationship energy. I was with him. I wasn't really thinking about all of the problems at first. Um, I think later on in our relationship, I started to see where my problems were uh, in regards to a a healthy sex life and just certain acts that were triggering to me and that I automatically were like, no, 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 no. Um, So I think clear boundaries is super important. Um, I think after abuse, whoever you're going to be intimate with, you have to work very hard on communication with, um, and first and foremost boundaries because unfortunately that person didn't go through your situation, so they're not going to know what triggers you, Um, and you might not know either. So you guys have to have a really open communication through the whole process and. They have to be well aware that if they're doing something wrong, it's not them, you know. Um, And to not take it, you know, personally. Because if they take it personally and get upset, and even if they get angry, which is a natural reaction because they feel bad, that could just (laughs) exacerbate the whole trauma response all over again. Um, I would also suggest a comfortable place or setting so, for example, um, I think what happened with me is I did something really dumb and I moved back into the house where all this happened. So yeah. when we did that, it became a really big problem because anywhere in the house, I could be fine and then five seconds later, look at something and have a memory of... Oh, I was looking at this when he was yelling at me for, you know, like, it could be so many things that triggered it. So a comfortable place where you don't have any real attachment emotionally, or triggering for you is important. Um, yeah. yeah, I was really, really dumb and moving back in there. But <laughs> um, and I actually was reading a little bit on it earlier, uh, was to, do something that makes you feel safe with that person beforehand. So it was suggesting, you know, something completely platonic or romantic, you know, cook dinner together, something that makes you comfortable. And that isn't immediately like, oh, we're going to have sex and kind of um, increases intimacy in other ways beforehand. And a really important thing is to kind of revisit what consent means. So... I know um, a lot of people in abusive relationships just have sex because that's, one, the one time that nothing quote-unquote bad is happening. So when I was having sex with him, I knew at least for that period of time there was not going to be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, but that wasn't, that wasn't a yes for me. That was just a, it was a means to an end kind of situation. So getting back to what, yeah, kind of survival method. (laughs) Um, So clarifying what yes means to you is like super important. If you're not feeling it at all one day, like don't think, oh, you know, I have to have sex with this person so that they stay around or anything like that. I think doing that just keeps the trauma going because you're having sex for a wrong reason, regardless of what that reason is. um, If you are not completely in it, I wouldn't do it at all. Um, So any thoughts on that before I, I wanted to read a few statistics just to close it out because I was reading them and they are pretty alarming, like to just think about. And I, would want some people just to listen to what I'm saying on them and kind of be like, holy shit. Um, yeah. I think now, in this day and age, more people are coming out saying things have happened to them. So it's not as shocking to hear of someone you know going through something like this. Um, but, I mean, I until I was 26, I really had no... Personal experience with it. So um, I just think it's important for people to know the severity and the issues. Um, So before I do that, any closing thoughts, any words of wisdom? (laughs) Um,
1: I think on my end, um, well, first of all, thank you for inviting me and chatting with me about this. I feel good. You know having you along on my side to chat about this because I, I really look up to you too i think you're one of the toughest women i know and equally as proud of you so um it feels really good to be here with you to chat about it but really um i want to apologize to anyone who i heard during that period in my life um this is what was going on i know i was not the nicest person but i didn't know how to share this and i, I was really fighting these demons so there's anyone listening to this from that period of time, please please reach out to me. I, I don't have an ego. I'll gladly apologize. And um, for anyone currently going through this now, um, don't try and see how high that ladder is <laughs> because when you get to the top, sometimes there isn't going to be a way down. I mean, I look at the Gabby Petito case that just happened and a few others, and I hear your story. I hear mine. And you know, the more awareness we can raise about this, and the more people we we can convince that it is normal to talk about this that this is not drawing attention to yourself that you know this whole well you decided to stay well you knew better well we told you so the moment that stops and more men and women come forward to talk about what we just chatted about today I think we'll have less cases like that on the news and less stories like this we've got a long way to go but um you know exercise grace whether it's you or someone else
0: Well, thank you again, thank you a million times. Um, I'm honored that this is the first time you're speaking about it because I know you speak publicly a lot all the time. So um, I am really grateful that you did take the time and um, I know you only had until a certain time. So I'm gonna let you go and (laughs) um, yeah, thank you. Just thank you and I'm super grateful and um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Bye. Before I wrap up this podcast, like I said, I'm going to go into some statistics that I think are really alarming and could really set some people up to get a grasp on how prevalent this problem is. And especially, I would like to say before I read these statistics, um, domestic violence calls did increase by about 30% during the stay safe, stay home lockdown. And I think that is a really um underknown statistic and an unknown problem that happened from stay safe, stay home. I think we were all so caught up in something else that we didn't realize a lot of people that is not safe for them and what it really meant for them. So um these statistics I found at the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, N C A D V dot org. In the United States, more than 10 million adults experience domestic violence annually. One in four women and one in 10 men experience sexual violence, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner during their lifetime. Approximately one in five female victims and one in 20 male victims need medical care. Female victims sustain injuries three times more often than male victims 1 in 5 female victims and 1 in 9 male victims need legal services. 23.2% of women and 13.9% of men have experienced severe physical violence by an intimate partner during their life. During 2016-2018, through the number of intimate partner violence victimizations in the United States increased by 42%. On a typical day, domestic violence hotlines nationwide receive over 19,000 calls. I'm going to read that again. On a typical day, domestic violence hotlines nationwide receive over 19,000 calls. An abuser's access to a firearm increases the risk of intimate partner femicide by 400% In 2018, partner violence accounted for 20% of all violent crime. Intimate partner violence is most common against women between the ages of 18 and 24. 19% of intimate partner violence involves a weapon. Nearly 1 in 5 women and 1 in 12 men have experienced contact sexual violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. From 2016 to Through 2018, the number of rape and sexual assault victimizations in the United States increased by 146%. 1 in 2 female murder victims and 1 in 3 male murder victims are killed by intimate partners. 65% of all murder suicides are perpetrated by intimate partners. 96% of murder suicide victims are female Most intimate partner homicides are committed with firearms. If you are in immediate danger ever, please call 911. For anonymous confidential help 24-7, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or 1-800-787-3224. You can visit ncadv.org for more resources, help, statistics, and a safety plan.